All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CYDC podcast. I, as always, I am your host, Mike. And I'm Arushi. Still. And <laughs> still, you're still here. It's still Arushi. She has, I can see her. She, she has not changed. And on today's episode, we will be exploring mindfulness. So, Arushi, I know this is a topic that you are very excited about. I am. And is there anything in particular that you like the most about mindfulness? Yeah, I think for me, something I really want to kind of spread the message about and get out of this episode is that mindfulness is not just sitting there with your legs crossed, making a little thing with your hands on your lap. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I really just want to get rid of that, that notion that the only way to practice mindfulness is to meditate because that doesn't work for a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that you still can't practice. I see you raising your hand. Yeah. And I just want to let it be known that you can totally still practice mindfulness and being in the present through other ways which I'll talk about later in the episode so you have to stay tuned for that yeah and like like you said it's not easy for everyone to just sit there and try to meditate I guess but Ooh. and I'm in that in that boat so as we yeah. talked about in other a previous podcast I have ADHD so it's really tough for me to just like sit there and focus on being there for more than like two minutes but mm-hmm. um yeah, so I think that since this was your topic, and this is a topic that you're pretty much a pro at, I think I would say, <laughs> uh, would you like to kick us off to explain what mindfulness is? I would love to, yeah. So getting started, what is mindfulness? So it's kind of a buzzword over the last couple of years. Um, it's often used in regard to reducing stress, anxiety, increasing joy and being more present focused. And I kind of feel like you name a concern, mindfulness ends up being brought up as a method to make it better. But that still begs the question, what is mindfulness and where did this word even come from? So when thinking about mindfulness, I would like you all to kind of think about it from the perspective of decluttering the brain. So we're, as humans, we're always thinking about what we need to do, the next thing that we're doing, ruminate ruminating on things from the past, but not a lot of the time are we able to fully zero in and be focused on the present. So that's exactly what mindfulness is. And it's something that we all have within us. It's the basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are, what we're doing, and not be overly reacted, reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. So as I mentioned, it's something that we all naturally possess and it's more readily available to us when we practice it on a daily basis, kind of again, like a muscle. So whenever you bring awareness to what you're directly experiencing through your sentence, through your senses or to your state of mind, through your thoughts and emotions, you are being mindful. And there's actually a lot of growing research that shows that when you train your brain to be mindful, you're actually remodeling the physical structure of your brain, which I think is really neat. And as I mentioned, the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. And the more you do it, the more you begin to benefit from it, like a workout for your mind. That might be something that I need to start working on because after a couple of times, I'm like, nope, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. It can be easy to kind of fall off the wagon, especially if all people are trying is meditation, right? But don't worry, I I got all of you. I'll give some more suggestions later on. (laughs) And so before we move into the brain on mindfulness or during mindfulness, I think it's important to just have a 
brief history lesson on where it started. So mindfulness is actually rooted in Buddhism and Hinduism, and it's a practice involved in religious and secular traditions from Hinduism and Buddhism to yoga, and more recently, non-religious meditation. So people have been pr practicing mindfulness for thousands of years, whether it's its own, whether it's on its own or as part of a larger tradition. So in general, mindfulness was popular popularized. Mm -hmm. It's a big, it's a big challenging word for Mike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so mindfulness was popularized in the East by religious and spiritual institutions before making its way to the West. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And now that we have a little bit of more understanding about what mindfulness is and acknowledged kind of the history of it, as well as the ways it's done in the present, I'd like to give you all a little bit of information about your brain on mindfulness in a couple of different contexts like stress, creativity, and memory, and pain. So mindfulness and stress. So there's been some research that shows that after practicing mindfulness, the gray matter in your brain's amygdala, which seems to get brought up in every single episode, um, which is a region known for its role in stress and is our favorite thing to talk about, it actually becomes smaller when you practice mindfulness. In regard to creativity, the, pre the prefrontal cortex is the area of your brain that's responsible for things like planning, problem solving, and emotional regulation or controlling your emotions. And the gray matter in this area can become thicker after practicing mindfulness, showing increased activity in these areas of thought. In regard to memory, an area of your brain known as the hippocampus, which helps with your memory and learning, after practicing mindfulness, it's been found that this area also becomes thicker. And lastly, in regard to pain, one study actually found that mindfulness experts reported feeling less pain than those who didn't practice mindfulness. And interestingly, in these people, the areas of the brain that are associated with pain didn't shrink, but instead, these areas associated with emotion and memory were less active. So what this means is that mindfulness may have reduced the connectivity between these two areas of the brain. And by not drawing on past memories of pain, these experts in turn were able to feel less pain. So while I think it's important to acknowledge that research regarding mindfulness is very much still in its infancy and beginning stages, the results for this long practice technique are undeniable. And it's also been found that people who meditate regularly exhibit high levels of gamma wave activity and this kind of activity allows frequent meditators to better control their thoughts and reactivity. And additional studies have also found that these high levels of gamma waves actually lead to neuroplasticity, which if some of you remember, we've mentioned in a previous episode as well. And just a quick reminder, neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change structurally and functionally on the basis of environmental input. So mindfulness, even though sometimes it might sound like a Big unclear theory, there is actually lots of scientific and empirically supported evidence to back up the benefits of it and what it does on the brain. For sure. And I know some of our listeners might be wondering, how do I practice mindfulness? Mm -hmm. And so one way is by noticing your breath. And this is one of the most simple and long practice ways of engaging in mindfulness and bringing yourself to the present and to simply notice your breath which can be practiced while sitting, walking, standing, or laying down. Mm -hmm. Another one is meditation, which I think many people probably have heard of before. And this is often done while sitting or laying down. And some people like to play meditation music or guided meditation in the background. 
And is this what you prefer, Arushi? It is, yeah. I find that the silence can be quite loud sometimes. So I, I like to play either music or a little guide. And I like it because it also gives me a time frame for how long my meditation will be for those busier days. That's awesome. And, and pretty much it's getting comfortable. So that's the important thing is maybe your palms are by your side or your legs are facing upwards or downwards. It's, it's getting comfortable and then bringing your awareness to your breath for as long as the meditation video lasts or as long as you wish to do so. Um, and a common misconception around meditation is that if a thought pops up during the meditation or if you're unable to get in the zone, you're doing it wrong. And that's just simply not true. While it might feel frustrating to not be able to fully zero in on meditation and be in that kind of floaty, relaxed, present, focused state, remember that the more you practice mindfulness and meditation, the easier that it will be to get into that zone. And with this in mind, if thoughts do pop up, simply observe and acknowledge the thought and gently tell your brain, thanks, but no thanks. So not, not right now and carry on with the meditation. And Arushi, I think you actually have a pretty good analogy for this, if you'd like to share with everyone. I do, yeah. So I'm not too sure how many of you all, or if you, Mike, are familiar with the Headspace series on Netflix. Um, I see you shaking your head, so I'm going to assume no. <laughs> no, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, so I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe Headspace or Calm is a company that kind of provo promotes different mindfulness and meditation videos and there are now headspace videos on netflix kind of like a series on more about meditation mindfulness and what it is so an analogy that i really liked that i pulled from episode one of the headspace videos on netflix is that our brains are like a, a busy highway with a lot of cars all the time and there is lots of movement lots of hustle and bustle at all times and things are always happening and through meditation, the goal is not to get rid of the cars entirely, but to simply observe the cars as they come and go without judgment or frustration for the cars being present. So I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's like the best way that I could ever explain it. So I, I hope that analogy resonated with some of you all as well. For sure. I think that's even helpful for me to kind of visualize, um, not mm -hmm. fully getting rid of those cars, but just observing them kind of maybe going on an off ramp and off an off ramp and all those sorts of things. So exactly. yeah, that's awesome. And I think the importance too is to not really ever feel discouraged if you find that the meditation is not working for you. Um, and mindfulness is simply being in the present moment without judgment. Um, so whatever allows you to do that is just fine. And I know for me, I had said that meditation, I don't really like it. It's tough for me to sit still. For many listeners of this podcast know that running is a really important hobby of mine and i think that part of it is important because it also helps my mindfulness it allows me to be in the moment and focus on running um, and just kind of focus on my steps and my breathing rather than focusing on all the other things going on in my life around me so i think even for me running has become a little bit of a mindful practice mm -hmm. That being said, the idea of sitting cross-legged or lying down and breathing for any period of time may not appeal to everyone. And so that being said, it's important to give it a shot, I think. And there's a lots of other there's lots of other methods for practicing mindfulness and many you can find on YouTube and on through Google. So on top of that topic of there's being a lot of other methods for practicing mindfulness, um, art can also provide a space for mindfulness. 
And whether it's through painting, sculpting, or just doodling, there are various forms of art that seem to promote mindfulness and meditative states, like Zentangle art and Mandela art. But the bottom line is just taking a pencil to paper and writing or drawing anything can allow yourself to simply be in that moment while you're writing. Um, and it's another way to practice mindfulness. hundred percent. Yeah, I really like the example you gave Mike as well about exercise, because I think that's definitely one of the biggest ways that a lot of people who might not be a fan of the whole sitting still thing um, could benefit from. And I think there's actually something called a flow state that a lot of people get in when they are either running or weightlifting or even things that are more low impact, like yoga or different stretches can definitely be a great way to practice mindfulness without breaking a sweat. And as Mike also once mentioned in a previous episode, be where your feet are planted. Grounding your body and just having that awareness of where you are in the present moment is a mindfulness activity in itself and is a very powerful phrase to turn to when you need it. And when going for walks and noticing and being mindful and aware of each step you take, noticing how the ground feels when you step on it and not judging or thinking too much about it, but simply noticing it is a very easy way to incorporate mindfulness into your daily life, both in and out of the home. And I also wanted to touch on mindful eating. So I know, I don't know about you, Mike, but I love to eat my food while watching something. What about you? Yep. Usually I'm watching something while I eat or eating with my family, one of the two. Yeah. Which I think eating with your family is probably the better choice of the two. <laughs> and um, mindful eating, which can be done in the presence of others as well, is simply just paying attention to each bite you're taking, chewing slowly, and if possible, eating without external distractions like Netflix or any other moving image on the screen. And kind of like Mike mentioned, even eating with your family and just being in that present moment, that itself is practicing mindfulness. For sure. And I've heard of that in the past as well, of mindful eating and just mm -hmm. paying attention to even the taste of the food and those mm -hmm. sorts of things. And because how often do we really get a chance to focus on how our food tastes? It's usually just we scarf it down because we're in such a rush, whether it's school or work, right? And um, yeah, I think that's an awesome strategy as well. Sometimes I try to take a bite of the food and then before I pick up my fork or before I take another bite, I like make sure I keep my fork in the plate and finish my food first and then pick up this, the fork and take another bite. Because sometimes, you know, while we're chewing, we're grabbing another bite and then eating, right? And it's very not mindful, right? It's just getting the food in our bodies as quick as possible sometimes because we're starving. But I think sometimes for me to be mindful, I'll put my utensil down finish my food and then take another bite afterwards. So that might be useful for someone else as well. That is such a great strategy. And I think all of this is again, just to say that if meditation is not for you, definitely give it a shot. But if it's not, that is totally okay. And there are so many ways to in incorporate mindfulness into your daily life, even simply within your own bedroom. And so I think that's amazing, Arushi, because I think one of the awesome things about mindfulness is that it really is for everyone, whether you're older, younger, doesn't matter what age you are, um, or even if you're not feeling good, or if you are feeling good, mindfulness can be beneficial. However, if you're stressed, busy, anxious, and always on the go, you might especially benefit from engaging in those sort of activities and mindfulness practices, but also it's important to acknowledge that you might be, feel like you're too busy. And people, 
the nice thing about mindfulness is that people say it's key for everyone to take at least 10 minutes of their day to practice. So not too much time. And for the people who don't practice mindfulness, they probably need it the most. Mm -hmm. I will raise my hand on that one as well and say, I think I'm in that category. Mm -hmm. I think Um, a lot of people are so. For sure. For sure. And for kiddos, there's lots of YouTubes out there. YouTubes, (laughs) a lot of YouTubes. There's a lot of YouTube videos (laughs) online catered to them, but also to parents. And so it's important because you can just play the video and it'll help the kid kind of go through the instructions and have them follow along with the video. So if you model and incorporate mindfulness into your day, your child will also notice and maybe even want to join in. And I know in many situations, it's always useful that if you want your child to practice mindfulness, it's helpful to practice with them. Uh, And that's even a motivator as well. 100% and just a nice relaxing family activity too that doesn't require getting everyone in a car and out the door at a certain time it's just done at home in your living room for sure so check out the YouTubes yes the YouTubes and the the Netflixes and all that good stuff (laughs) I feel like such an old person saying check out the YouTubes You oh, kids in the YouTubes these days. <laughs> the, best, the best mistake I think that came out of all of the recordings we've done so far. Um, but okay, so now I hope you all are feeling a little bit more well-versed on what mindfulness is and how to practice it. And we hope you're feeling a little bit more motivated and confident in your ability to incorporate it in your day. And to motivate you all a little more, we thought we would highlight some of the benefits of practicing it if it wasn't clear enough already. So just to kind of go down the list, there is improved life and relationship satisfaction, improved emotional and physical well-being, lower stress, greater memory and focus, less emotional reactivity, greater empathy and compassion, greater sleep quality, greater patience. And we could go on and on about this, I think, for the rest of the episode (laughs) with the benefits. But at the end of the day, there are so many scientifically proven benefits of mindfulness and we hope by this point you and your child are feeling more confident in your ability to practice mindfulness and just remember be present be oh present i mix together present and patient cool remember be present and be patient and make sure to really read what you're saying better than i am today (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, I think we're both in that boat today a little bit of uh, stumbling. So It's a tad bit, but I'll let you take it away now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when linking mindfulness and mental health together, since this is a mental health podcast, um, there are forms of therapy that now incorporate mindfulness into the practice. So that includes mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or MBCT. And a primary assumption of cognitive therapy is that thoughts precede moods and that false self-beliefs lead to negative emotions such as depression. And the goal of cognitive therapy is to help you realize and reassess your patterns of negative thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts that more closely reflect reality. So mindfulness-based cognitive therapy builds upon the principles of cognitive therapy by using techniques such as mindfulness meditation to teach people consciously how to pay attention to their thoughts and feelings without placing any judgment on them. This approach helps people review their thoughts 
without getting caught up in what could have been or what might occur in the future. NBCT, it sounds like a news channel, Mm -hmm. NBCT encourages clarity of thought and provides you the tools needed to more easily let go of negative thoughts instead of letting them feed your depression. Much like cognitive therapy, MBCT operates on the theory that if you have a history of depression and become easily distressed, you are likely to return to those automatic cognitive processes that triggered a depressive episode in the past. And so the combination of mindfulness and cognitive therapy is what makes MBCT so effective. Mindfulness helps you observe and identify your feelings, while cognitive therapy teaches you to interrupt automatic thought processes and work through feelings in a healthy way. Hmm. And I think, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that pretty much sums up mindfulness. It does. Yeah. I think just one thing I wanted to throw into the, the mental health things that you just mentioned, Mike, is that even aside from MBCT, it's more recently, I think mindfulness is kind of being incorporated into many different forms of therapy. I mean, like CBT, which is obviously very similar to MBCT, but even DBT, which I believe stands for dialectical behavioral therapy, um, it's kind of being incorporated in that as well. And I think many other forms of therapy also. So it's really becoming more widespread now and the best way possible, I think. And, and I think where therapy is beneficial as well is just putting those mindfulness tools into your imaginary toolbox um, so that when you do need them, you know kind of what to pull out and when, and mm-hmm. you can use those mindfulness strategies um, when you need. So I think that's the one thing that therapy is useful for as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. But alrighty, can I dive into our fun fact for this week? Yeah, when you told me this fun fact, I was like, <laughs> shocked i was shook as the kids say these days Mm -hmm. i'm i'm still a little bit thrown off by it and i've read article after article on it just to confirm that it's legitimate and we're not you know spreading rumors and it's very much a real thing so i mean all right here we go so a buddhist academic has actually said that a 200 year old mummified monk discovered in mongolia may not be dead but in a very deep meditation so 200 years old in a very deep meditation. And some Buddhists actually believe that he was in a deep state of meditation in which the body shuts down and they appear to be passed away or not really here anymore, but their mind continues on. So if you'd like to read more about this, there is a Washington Post article about it amongst many other articles, but I think that just blew me away. Um, Initially, we were trying to look for facts on the longest meditation and the largest one, which I found was 33,000 people. Um, But the longest meditation is still yet to be determined. So if we ever find that out, we'll get back to you. But yeah, this was our really, really interesting and really surprising, I think, fun fact of mindfulness for the week. Yeah. And we will put that link um, in the description as well, so that if anybody wants to quickly access it, they, we can uh, we can put that in the description. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. And I think that wraps it up for this week. So thank you all for tuning in this week. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast and would like to reach out to us, you can email us at cydcpodcast at gmail.com. And as mentioned, we have added resources from this podcast in the link in the descriptions. 
I'd also like to say thank you to Dr. Colin King for giving us his opportunity to record the podcast. And also this intro music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube. And the outro music was written by Wadaboy on SoundCloud. And both of those links are in the description below as well. We will see everyone next week uh, where we will be talking about therapy and what is therapy. So thank you all for listening and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Bye.